Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. So, welcome to CTO Confessions, Shane and Skylar. It's great to have you on board. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. So we've had Shane on CTO Confessions before. So it's great to have Skylar on board, Director of Engineering. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a kind of double up in CTO Confessions to see if we can kind of double up the learning and, and, and share some great stories around what other tech leaders can do out there and learn from their experience. So just before we kind of do that, let's have a quick introduction as to who you are and what do you do? Sure. So I've been in technology for a little over a decade. Uh, started off in the mobile application space, uh, primarily working on iOS apps. So kind of cut my teeth there, uh, worked at several agencies and eventually joined TeamSnap. Uh, been at TeamSnap for coming up on seven years now. Uh, have always, you know, gravitated towards technology and, you know, as an individual contributor and then kind of as more of a tech leader on our team. Uh, and then kind of growing and growing my leadership skills and eventually, you know, taking on some more management responsibilities. Uh, and now I'm a director of engineering here at TeamSnap. Um, one interesting fact about me, I've been traveling for about six years full time. Uh, so right now I'm I'm in my RV in southwestern Colorado and I've been traveling uh, Canada, Mexico and the U.S. Uh, for the last six years or so. Wow, that is pretty interesting. You, you're like, um, I don't know if you have uh, gypsies, you know, gypsy travelers, you know, it's like kind of a technical gypsy uh, uh, tra traveling from kind of place to place. There you go. I'm, I'm going to become a, a traveling uh, technology leader gypsy, you know, so uh, that's fantastic. And just to kind of quickly introduce Shane, because we've got a whole podcast on Shane, so we're not going to go over old ground, you know, we, you know, I'm not saying we're bored of you, Shane, but, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to get a little bit of introduction here. So Shane, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so briefly, uh, Shane Emmons, CTO at TeamSnap. I've been here nine years, one of the very early engineers. Uh, also work on some big open source projects and did data and a bunch of analytics ahead of this. Brilliant, excellent. So who wants to tell us a little bit about what TeamSnap do and what's the problem that they're solving in the market? I think Skylar is excellent at this. <laughs> yeah, so we essentially take the work out of play for people on sports teams. So, you know, we were founded, um, you know, over 10 years ago, essentially as a platform for people that, you know, they're coaching a team, they're managing a team, they need to schedule, they need to, you know, know who's going, they need to collect payments, they need to communicate. And we've kind of branched out from there, you know, going into larger sports organizations, maybe they have hundreds of teams that compete against each other. Uh, we've gone into payments. We've gone heavily into advertising. Uh, you know, we even do background checks. We even do insurance for your sports registration. Uh, so really just anything about sports, you know, we're your technology solution for that. Yeah. And uh, we make it super easy. Brilliant. I love it. The one-stop shop as they say, you know, exactly for everything that you need. And and I love the idea of kind of bringing all those different aspects of, uh, you know, uh, the kind of sports needs in, into one place. So you can, uh, you know, make life easy for people. Okay. So here at IT Labs, we're really interested in the kind of human centric part of, uh, you know, people in companies, uh, lead the leaders, as well as the people at Coalface. So I'm really curious as to the, what's the passion that drives you, Shane? What, what's your, what's your passion that drives you and gets you jumping out of bed in the morning? So my passion is distributed teams, uh, hard stop. It's, I think about what uh, leaders should be into. They should have some combination of 
technology, people, the product, and I am first and foremost the people and more specifically distributed teams. That gets me out of bed every day, experimenting, finding different ways to work that aren't just what we've been doing for the last hundred years since the industrial revolution. That gets me out of bed every day and has for almost a decade here at TeamSnap. Brilliant. I feel that there's a book inside you about that exact subject that wants to come out. There is. <laughs> it, it, it's been outlined already. <laughs> oh, oh, excellent. There you go. Because oh, obviously the world we live in, in this kind of COVID era, this COVID epoch, um, you know, it's it's a topic now. I mean, everybody's working remotely, you know, and it's. It, I think a lot of people need help and some kind of tips, you know, kind of, uh, cookbook or playbooks, you know, how to kind of do that better. So Exactly. I think people need to recognize the difference between remote work and distributed work, and I think their lives would start becoming a lot easier. Mm, I like it. You really do want me to uh, read that book. I'm looking forward to, to seeing that very soon, hopefully. Um, so, Skyler, what's the passion that makes you jump out of bed in the morning? Is it the guitar that's behind you? Uh, you know, the guitar is a nice after work thing. But in terms of getting out of bed in the morning, I've got really two pillars um, that, that stick out to me. One is is my team. Um, you know, my, my team needs to feel secure. They need to feel safe. And I want them to grow. And so... You know, it's, it's great to see, you know, someone that came on to TeamSnap as a junior engineer, and now I'm promoting them into a senior engineer role and just watching that growth progression and really building a plan with them and, and walking through that in their one-on-ones every week. You know, if, you know, what have we done to demonstrate these things? And, you know, what are areas of opportunity for us? And, you know, building their career and, and finding the projects that's going to get them there. So that's one area of passion. Uh, the second area of passion that I've had for a long time is just great product. Um, so I've, I've always been more of a product focused engineer. Um, I love to partner with my product managers and push them a little bit and to poke them a little bit and say, you know, how can we make that even better? Um, so, you know, we, we did a hackathon, uh, earlier this year and my team developed a COVID-19 screening tool and it was just a great time. And one week, you know, we talked to customers, we did customer interviews, we did prototyping, we brought that back to customers and then we built the thing. And we shipped it, um, you know, soon thereafter. And it's been used, you know, millions of times now. I, I don't know how many millions of times now, but, what, you know, months ago it was 7 million or something like that. Wow. Um, and it's it's just great to to take an idea and watch it go through the process. And it eventually gets out to millions of people. And that's just something that, that really excites me. Brilliant. I love that. It's a beautiful arc, you know. Um, I think there's a, uh, I have a thing about uh, closing arcs, you know, to create that kind of form. But if it's kind of being used by millions of people, I mean, that's a pretty big impact, you know, it's, uh, and if they're kind of delighted by it as well. So that's uh, fantastic. So, um, so, so how, how do you both lead within uh, TeamStack? What's your kind of style? How do you roll as leaders? So I think I've got a little bit of a, a leadership crutch or a leadership help um, that's been kind of helping me out along the way. And that's that I, I came up from TeamSnap as a individual contributor and everyone saw me doing that. You know, most of my team saw me doing that years back. And so they know that I have the empathy. They know that I have their back. They know that I understand their problems. And so I, I guess that I, I have um, a bit of a, a credibility bank built up with my team because of that. And that enables me to lead in a very authentic way. And, you know, they know that that I am being authentic and that I've been there and that I know the problems they're going through. So um, generally, my leadership style is is pretty casual. Um, I'm very straight up with my team and in a very nice way. You know, I'm not terse or um, abrupt or anything like that. But, I, you know, I am very honest with my team um, and I will I'll kind of tailor my approach individually one on one, of course. But, you know, I'm never going to, to sugarcoat things or or do something that's disingenuous. 
Um, so I, I think that, that that level of trust and credibility is key for a leader. Um, I think that that builds respect, that builds you know more trust within the team, that builds empathy. And I think those are all key traits for a leader. Um, the other way that I lead my team is, is I partner across, you know, different aspects of TeamSnap to get something done. So, you know, I, I go sit with my product team and, and work with them and hear from them about what their problems are. And, you know, maybe maybe I just hear the problems. Maybe I try and, you know, figure out some solutions with them. Um, or I go to our QA manager and I, I talk to her about, you know, what she's going through. Um, and just, you know, understanding people, understanding their problems, getting a full picture before making a decision uh, is really key. You know, you, you can't just make a decision in a vacuum. Um, so I've I found that going cross-functionally, you know, whether it's, you know, leaders in our advertising business, leaders in our product business, um, you know, wherever they sit within the organization and really partnering with them, uh, making that a, a very friendly relationship is key. I love that. It's like you're creating kind of webs of um, strong connections and uh, if I may use the word intimacy in, um, in the sense that you're you're working very closely with people and you kind of get each other, you know, once you get when you're absolutely for a long time, it's you, you can kind of almost read each other. And uh, how about yourself, Shane? Yeah, so I always like to summarize what Skylar just said is he's like the quintessential Texas gentleman. That's his persona as a leader. It's perfect. And so then I have to, my authentic is a lazy procrastinator. Uh, that is just, that is what has helped me in programming for years of I'm lazy. So I do things uh, to make, make my life easier. And so I take that to my leadership as well to be authentic. And so I spend a lot of time teaching people how to lead themselves so that I don't have to do it because ultimately I'm lazy. Uh, so that's what I spend a lot of time. I like what you said there of being, being intimate with people and really focusing on what it is that drives them, what their goals are that align with them every day. And I'm going to focus on that almost all day versus their business problems. I really want them to own the business problems. Um, I also just don't have time to do all the business problems. So yes. that's where I spend my kind of leadership and my authenticity is to more and more get people to own their stuff. And that's where, too, I've always been searching for the right process for that because most processes are not made for individuals or even teams to own everything themselves it's always looking to some other leader to bless them brilliant so i guess that's a great segue into a topic that we did discuss previous to the podcast and i have to confess i'm coming into this a, a little bit kind of a newbie okay so so what is the shape up process what is that yeah so shape up is is basically a framework uh for us to get projects done and it's a it's a little different than scrum though it has a lot of agile principles um i'll just hit some high level you know principles really quick before we kind of dive into the nitty-gritty um so there there is an aspect of it called shaping and shaping is essentially the process by which um you know some of the more senior team members define the problem and start to kind of get a fuzzy solution in place uh, the right amount of detail is the key here and so you know you don't want to prescribe a solution that has you know these detailed designs and all this acceptance criteria but it also needs to be concrete enough that the team has some direction um and you know maybe the hard questions are answered maybe there's questions the team can't answer within themselves um you know maybe it's a business question like let's say can we take a hit on this advertising revenue in order to provide you know maybe a different user experience. That's a that's a question the team can't fundamentally answer. 
Um, so, you know, answering those really hard questions is part of the shaping process. And we basically come out of that process with what we call a pitch doc. Um, so a pitch basically has that problem defined. Uh, it has a very fuzzy solution. You know, if you squint too hard, you might not be able to figure out what it is. Um, <laughs> you know, it might have some no-goes and things like that. Like we don't want to open this can of worms over here as part of this. Um, and it has what's called an appetite. And an appetite is not an estimate. That's always a key misconception. Appetite is how much does the business want to spend on this problem? How important is this problem to the business? Is it six weeks important? Is it two weeks? Mm -hmm. um, so we, we get this document we, and we take that basically to our leadership team at, at a ceremony called the betting table. And the betting table occurs prior to us starting work. And we basically agree on which pitches are going to go into the next cycle. Um, and, and that's how the, the team kind of receives their work. Um, the, the cycles themselves are a bit different too. You know, it's not a traditional two week sprint or something like that. It is a, a six week cycle, which is enough time to get something meaningful done. Um, you know, we, we typically have two types of bet. We either have a full six week bet, which we call a big batch, um, or we have a couple of smaller bets, maybe two, three, three week bets or something like that. We call this small batch. Mm -hmm. Um, so the cycle runs for the six weeks. The most important thing in shape up is that we ship on time. Scope is completely variable. Uh, so the scope is up to the team. We want to hammer the scope to where we ship on time. Uh, and we want to make some progress towards that problem that was in the pitch document. You know, the solution we end up with might look a little different than the solution that was envisioned initially, and it probably should. Um, but, you know, we're going to all ship on time at the end of that cycle. We all come up for air at the same time. And then we go into what's called a cool down, which is a little two-week process. It's self-directed work. It's uh, beneficial in a few different ways. It provides a buffer between the cycles if there is like some... You know, let's say something catches on fire and we we don't ship on time. We violate the one cardinal rule and we don't ship on time. You know, it provides us a little buffer. Um, it, it also allows for that self-directed work, for people to learn, for people to go work on the thing they're passionate about. You know, that, that UX bug that's been bothering them for the last year, they're going to go fix that. Um, and then fix any major issues in the work that we just shipped from the cycle. You know, did we just, you know, ship some huge regression or something like that that we need to go off and fix? Um, so that two-week cooldown is a nice little period. And then we kind of start that cycle process again after that. Um, so that's like the the 10,000-foot view, you know, wow. if you're just flying by of shape up. And uh, we can get more into the, the nitty-gritty and yeah. further questions. That's fascinating. I, I'm, I'm, assuming I, I'm kind of... I, I was, because working with the agile space and doing kind of the scrum, uh, uh, you know, uh, cadences, whatever, you, you always see kind of nuances, nuances, kind of how this could be better, you know. Um, obviously, both of you have kind of worked in the uh, old, old, older agile way, kind of like version 1.0, you know. Um, so what's the diff? What, how different does it feel to be in this new process now? So. I think I could start by speaking to a few of the pain points we had with our old processes and kind of why ShapeUp was attractive to us and why we decided to even try it out in the first place. Um, so we had been a, a pretty traditional scrum shop for, you know, as long as I've been at TeamSnap, perhaps before uh, two-week sprints, refinement and planning and retros. And while it worked, um, there were a few key pain points that kept occurring. And, you know, we would retro on them, we'd discuss them, we'd have an action item. We would do the action item and the, the problem would never really go away. You know, we might just see it pop up in a different way. Uh, so, and those specifically were uh, prioritization. You know, we have a lot of different parts of the business at TeamSnap. We have a huge user base, you know, millions of users. 
And we have a relatively small engineering team. So prioritization whiplash was a, a constant at TeamSnap. You know, you would get, um, you know, one directive for this sprint and we might even, you know, change the next sprint, you know, what our directive is. So we would get this kind of priority whiplash going on. Yeah. Um, that, that was constantly an issue. Uh, another was team autonomy. You know, we have very smart engineers at TeamSnap. We have very smart designers, very smart QA. And to be given kind of just work that's fully defined, you know, the solution is fully defined and you're just supposed to implement it. That's just not something that feels good for the team. And now in this shape up process, you know, it's more like you're a chef, you know, you're working within these constraints, but you have so much freedom and creativity to really define the solution and to hammer the scope. And, you know, ultimately your constraints are time and the problem, you know, we want to make progress on the problem and we want to ship on time. Brilliant. And it. it's just a, a lot more freeing for our engineers. You're making me feel hungry with all the chef talk and lying. So, so Shane, uh, obviously, you know, um, is it, was it was you kind of part of this kind of process? Was this something that you introduced, uh, uh, or was it something that was in, uh, introduced to you? So, Skyler introduced the concept, and then I would say I became his co-conspirator because I, I found it so intriguing, and I had the privilege, uh, given my position, to start enacting it as a beta test on a, on a team before we could put it all the way out there. So that was the, that was my privilege and co-conspirity to get some proof. Mm. And something that Skylar just said really resonated. I hadn't thought of it until just now of that chef and line cook of one change that I've really noticed in individuals after this has been that they're recognizing that chef is a career path for the longest time because they were sitting there as line cooks everybody was essentially how do i get in management how do i get into the upper echelons that create the stories so that i can self-actualize and there's much less if almost none of that anymore now it's i can be the best engineer it's we've gone from having no staff engineers to I believe six or seven now, it's people want to progress up the engineering career ladder and not the management ladder. They're not going to seek new jobs, which was a really common progression for us. It's you'd get to a place, okay, I need to go find another job because I can't get up to where we need because the Skylers and the Shanes of the world have been here for you know almost a decade. And so there's just no space for me and we've created a lot more space and opportunity. Um, the other piece that's been really important for me uh, for that distributed work angle, but really for work angle in general, is that idea of the cool down. It's I just uh, to, to use a phrase from your side of the pond, I think it's entirely bollocks to uh, <laughs> constantly be sprinting. I just think it's ridiculous. The idea that somebody can be sprinting, you know, every week or every two weeks nonstop for a year um, and people just are burning out. We're yeah. seeing a lot less burnout now. People are taking cool down seriously it it's been hard like it's been actually very hard to get people to to ex embrace and accept the idea that they can cool down and work on the pet projects or just go learn or whatever it is for those two weeks but we're getting so much more energy and engagement during the six weeks of kind of the marathon that we're running instead of the sprint that it's been just fantastic from an engagement it's probably productive. Actually, it's not probably. I know we've been a lot more productive uh, since this, but it's just been great because we've been able to retain people and create new opportunities that just weren't there from what seems so simple as the process change. I mean, in the end, we're still shipping software 
every day, but these little changes are just doing drastic things to people's lives. Brilliant. I love it. I'm, I'm particularly curious around some of the aspects of uh, Agile um, with the sprints. You know, for example, BAs would be preparing the, the kind of tickets and the work and almost kind of preparing them as the, this is the men, this is what you're going to cook, you know. How's, how's that kind of fitting into this kind of uh, shape up process now? <laughs> yeah, so the team's much more involved. Um, you know, thinking about that chef analogy, you know, they're, you know, sitting there crafting the tickets. So, you know, we'll, we'll meet quite a bit at the beginning of the cycle and we'll be discussing the problem and, you know, some potential solutions and things like that. And then we really, you know, it's up to the team to go create those tickets and to make sure they've got what they need and, and who better to define what they need than the people doing the work. So, you know, we uh, definitely communicate more in this process. So there's, there's, you know, pitch specific meetings. There's also our, our, we have our normal standups just to keep the team together as they're on different you know, pitches and things like that. Mm. We heard loud and clear from the team that they, you know, while they might be on different pitches at any given time, uh, you know, they still want to come together and hear what each other are working on. So we, we've left our standups in place for that reason. Um, but yeah, the, the team's really helping craft the tickets, making sure that we're tracking the work in a way that's beneficial to them. QA really helps us drive that, you know, because they're, they're essentially um, wanting us to write tickets. So they know what to test, right? And they can track that through the process. Um, so that's been essential. Our QA really leans in hard to this. Um, you know, all of our QA engineers really lean in on this and help us craft those, those specific Jira tickets for that. Brilliant. I'm really I, excited about this whole process. Oh, sorry, Shane, I interrupted then. No, I was going to say, I think the other thing that we've started to embrace more in the shape up process is, uh, they have this concept of the hill chart. So the idea is throughout the six week cycle, you're climbing a hill and the big unlock moment for this is understanding the difference between uphill and downhill is not your downhill. Once you're done, it's you start going downhill. Once you've figured you've planned your menu, you found your ingredients, you know what you're going to cook. The cooking is the downhill. That's the thing that we're all experts in. We're experts in building and we've found all the, the gotchas in there. And so getting teams to progress over that that hill over the cycle and start to embrace the idea that they're in the unknown at the beginning they have a very um slightly you know fat marker design uh sketched idea there that they're coming together from the shaping process and it's okay to climb uphill it might take a week it might take five weeks and the last week might be the implementation and getting people to embrace that and discover has been really enlightening for them, I feel, because they start to then figure out those tickets that they need. And suddenly they do, like the light pops. Well, I'm downhill now. I know everything. And that has made it a lot easier over that six weeks. So people are still, sometimes they're breaking it up in one-week sprints and two-week sprints inside that cycle, depending on how their brain works. But they're still being able to just craft that and see when, oh, I'm downhill. This feels easy. I think that's a lot of shape up right now, too, is it feels different. And once you get in that groove, like you can tell, it's I've worked with uh, one person that uh, one engineer, Peter, and we've worked on a, several cycles together now. And he gets the groove. He knows when he's uphill and struggling and like all of a sudden he'll hit downhill and just fantastic. So Skylar, how did it feel trying to introduce this? You, I, I guess you, you saw the light uh, uh, at the end of a tunnel somewhere and you thought, you know, I want to go there. You know, um, what was that like selling that and, and persuading people? 
Yeah, it was interesting. I think Shane hit on the, you know, there was a moment in time that we seized and that's absolutely true. You know, I've, I've been a part of several different organizational changes, several different process changes, and it's always been difficult. You know, it's always been difficult to get buy-in and communicate well and to actually implement it well. Um, and this was a little different in that the organization was, you know, throughout the organization, people were ready to listen. They were ready to hear, you know, okay, how can we improve this? What can we change? Um, and, you know, Shane took it with his team, you know, he was helping out the platform team at that time and they tried it for one cycle and retroed on it and, you know, figured out what worked, what didn't. Uh, then we, as a leadership team came together and we said, okay, what next? And we really had uh, buy-in from our VP of product, Greg. And he said, you know, let's try it with all the teams for a cycle and see what happens. And just that, that willingness to try and learn is, is key, you know, that's huge. And so we, we did it for all the teams for one cycle. And we said, hey, what do you think? And uh, everyone said, thumbs up, let's keep doing it. And we've been doing it ever since. Wow. So that was interesting. But yeah, it, it's been an overall easy change process, which is odd. Uh, you know, it's been the easiest I've been through. Uh, there was a little resistance at the beginning. And I think every team has had a little bit of a different journey there. But overall, it's been pretty good. And what was the what was the biggest part of the resistance around? Was there a particular aspect of this that they thought, do you know what, I really don't want to change here, you know? Yeah, so I think initially, um, you know, we have one team that is working towards a really big product launch. And, you know, they, they had a specific date in mind. They've got a relatively baked set of features in mind. And, you know, uh, fixed scope and fixed date's never going to work, right? And um, also the idea of pausing for two weeks every, you know, after every cycle to cool down was just a bit crazy because we've got this huge mountain to climb and, you know, we have a date we want to ship. And so I think that was a bit of resistance. Um, and we, I think we haven't cracked that nut yet. You know, what do you do whenever you're working towards a big product launch and, you know, you, you have a date in mind and you have a set of features in mind? That's different work than, than a project or uh, an improvement that you're making to an existing feature or something like that. Yes. So we haven't quite cracked that nut. I think that was a, a part of the resistance. And the other is just, you know, people were super comfortable with the process we had. We've been doing it for, you know, at least six, seven years, probably more. And, you know, they, they were familiar with the rituals. They were familiar with all the terms. And then I'm, you know, I suddenly show up with this book with all these new terms that we have to define and figure out what they mean yeah. and appetites oh, versus me. story <laughs> pointing. And yeah, so, and, you know, it's been a year of, of change. You know, 2020 was insane. And people were really just change fatigued. And so then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coming to them with this book and saying, oh, here's one more. And um, so I, I think there was a bit of, of change fatigue in general. So Shane, from a business perspective, what was that like in the kind of uh, the leadership groups, you know, the CEO and, uh, and, the, uh, and other stakeholders that were seeing this kind of shift in ways of working? Was that, were they quite receptive or did, was there a kind of a mini revolution there as well? There was definitely a mini revolution and like Skylar and I were co-conspirators. What we needed and what I did was get a co-conspirator on the executive team in the form of our VP of product. Right. So he knew we needed to do something different because he was overwhelmed. He became, we went from several GMs and product leaders four to one overnight. And he couldn't manage all this. And so he was willing to think differently and he was uh, a champion. So while there was skepticality across the other parts of the executive team, 
he was always there as the backup person going, well, what Shane is saying is true, it's working, or I'm behind this. And that was all all we need. And it's actually become a part of at least some of our team's pitches even of explicitly get yourself a co-conspirator when you're trying to suggest a new thing. Um, yeah. One, it's... Uh, one person is often not strong enough to stem the tide, but interestingly, two are because we just believe if you can convince somebody of it, you must be right. It's a strange bias we have, but it's enough to start ultimately a revolution or even a, just a minor shift. Brilliant. Yeah, uh, that's that's good that you uh, yeah, you're kind of I guess with this kind of thing, you're on two fronts, really. You know, you've got the business used to something that they're probably not always aligned with as well. Because one of the things that we notice um, with, with clients is that there, there's a boundary uh, where the agile ways of working are happening down at the kind of coalface and the and the business has, a, has their own way of doing stuff. And there's this kind of boundary of contention, as I like to kind of refer to it. Um, would you say that that boundary of contention still exists with this approach? So it has reemerged. So I would say it had disappeared for the most part. But uh, since our last recording, TeamSnap has been acquired. And so we have a lot of new executives and faces coming in who are of a more traditional mindset. So they think about program management and how are we keeping all the trains not only running, but hitting the station at the same time. And yeah. shape up from a distance looks a bit like controlled chaos. It's you mean to tell me you enter and six weeks later, you don't know what you're going to get because your core tenant is scope changes. That's very scary. Like I am much more in traditional management, much more willing to flex on the people behind it, maybe the time, but scope, no way. We've promised this to customers and that. So there is new contention and new like proving this is okay but also trying to ultimately find a way that this can work with inside traditional program management or at least a modified version because uh i don't want to lose this newfound uh just effectiveness but i also understand there's uh we're we're fighting against a bigger tide here when a company acquires you yeah. so it's going well so far, but it is definitely going, it's our, I think it's our biggest challenge from an internal process standpoint is how do we mix the two versus just having one or the other win. So Skylar, I can imagine that there was resistance on a lot of fronts as you described. What were the mechanisms and methods you used that worked for you uh, to kind of introduce that? Yeah, I think it's all about kind of dipping a toe in the pool before deciding if you want to jump in, right? So. Um, over the summer of 2020, we had a little hackathon and, um, you know, we just, we do engineering hackathons occasionally, and we had a super successful project come out of that. Um, it's basically our COVID-19 health screening tool that's in the product today. And we had had a, a really great week. We had done customer interviews. We had done prototyping. We had, you know, brought it back to customers again. We had built the whole thing out. We had shipped it. Um, and we were getting inquiries from even our CEO at the time, Dave, you know, what was the magic? What was the secret sauce in this week that enabled you to do all these things and, and make this incredible product? And I saw this as an opening essentially to talk about our process. And, um, so I wrote up a little document. It was, you know, a lessons learned type document. 
And it just outlined a few differences between that week and our traditional process that we had done, you know, for years. And essentially, you know, I pointed out the hackathon week is much like the shape up process. And I've been, you know, evangelizing shape up for a long time. And it's, it's basically a microcosm of it. And the way I tied it back was you, you have a fixed time and schedule. You have one week, you have to ship at the end of the week, right? Um, if you want it out there, otherwise it's just going to go off into the ether and you're never going to see the light of day. Um, the team is totally in charge of the scope. You know, we didn't have anyone telling us what we needed to ship. We didn't even have anyone telling us what project we, we needed to work on. Um, so we had a lot of team autonomy. Um, and the team had basically an overall product goal or bet they're making. You know, at the beginning of the week, we said, we're going to build this health screening tool. And then the entire team throughout the week helped define the solution. We were ruthless about scope. I mean, we were just cutting scope left and right. And, um, and we came out of the end with, with a product that was ready for market essentially, um, which was incredible. And so I, I wrote up this little document, you know, and I, I started to compare it to our existing process and, and how they were different and really just use this to get everyone in the company acquainted with the idea of shape up and, you know, really just push it a little bit further. And this was prior to us trying it out with the team, but it was just a, a way for them to, to dip a toe in the water where they jumped in. Brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, and obviously it, it worked. It was a, it kind of eased its way into, into the organization kind of thing, you know? So as we come towards the end of the arc of our podcast together, Skylar and Shane, I always love asking this because I'm, I'm a big avid reader myself. Uh, and I think books are a great uh, gateway for learning. What books would you recommend to other tech leaders or just leaders in general out there, Skylar? Yeah, so obviously I've got to lead off with the Shape Up book, right? Like yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a free book. Yeah, it's, it's on the web out there. You can get a PDF. I think they're selling physical copies now as well. But uh, yeah, it's a free PDF out there. Really easy read. I mean, I think, I think I got through it in two hours or something like that. I've read it a couple times now. Um, yeah, and then we don't do necessarily every single ritual of the process. You know, we definitely modified things along the way, but. It's a great starting point to at least get familiar with some of these concepts, um, to get the basic tenets and then, you know, see how they might apply to your organization. And, and even if you don't change your process, maybe they'll influence you a bit in yes. terms of your thinking on scope or something like that, or appetites, I think is a really interesting topic in there. Yes. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Um, it's an easy read and, you know, worth your time. Brilliant. And, and for yourself, Shane, what, what books would you, uh, uh gift as a recommendation? Yeah, so I won't dive into a lot of them. I will definitely plus one, Skylar. The books on stoicism have really helped it from a leadership way of just being able to accept things you can't control is a huge thing. And just getting past that, things are what they are. Major milestone when you come to get past that. You It unlocks a lot of stuff. But yeah. uh, for a specific book that I'm thinking about right now, Essentialism by, I believe it's Greg McEwen. Um fantastic all around for your life but i think it also really ties in well with shape up and what you're trying to do of just boiling things down to what's essential and whether it's your work or life it's uh just a fantastic read uh very quick and um i think it can ultimately change a lot of things if you apply it to yourself it does a really great job of telling you how to say no brilliant excellent 
And we're going to come now to a, a fun part of the podcast, which I love doing. Unfortunately, Shane, you've already made a wish on your on your uh, on your podcast. So, um, Skyler, Skyler, I'm going to offer you a wish from the tech genie. What would you wish for as a tech leader? That is tough. Uh, so, I think I can go multiple different ways with this. Um, you know, I can definitely hedge towards the more of the technology side, or hedge more towards the product and business side. I'm going to take the easy way out and go with technology because technology's, you know, there's, there's solutions, there's concrete ideas and problems and solutions in technology. Uh, and that is just reducing the amount of tech sprawl. It would make my life so much easier as a hiring manager and a team leader. You know, if we were just all working on the same stack one day and magically we were all working, you know, on the same language and, and framework, never going to happen. Uh, not, <laughs> you know, not in the foreseeable future. But uh, hey, that's what a genie's for, right? You know, yeah, magically, right. you know, as a, as a former iOS engineer, we'll all be writing Swift on the web. We'll all be writing Swift for the back end, of course. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's my tech wish. Um, you know, I think the, the business problems might be more interesting as well. But, you know, coming up with the amazing prioritization framework that really takes, you know, into account the full picture you know, there's a lot of things that are hard to quantify and we've got all these prioritization frameworks and they ne they never do a great job of quantifying things that are difficult to quantify um you know thinking about user experience and product market fit and you know is this an amazing thing that's going to to get huge adoption you know you, you can't really fit that into a prioritization spreadsheet you just have to experiment and see what gets traction yeah. um so that might be an interesting thing on more of the product side of things Fantastic. Thank you, Skylar. So I'm inspired by a film. We've mentioned quite a few films here. The Field of Dreams. Build it and they will come, you know? Build it and they will come. There we go. You heard it here. It started here, okay? Um, okay, so final words as we come to the full stop. What's your kind of key takeaway, each of you, for the tech leader men and women out there? What was it, what's the one thing that you say as we part? Skylar. You know, we've, we've talked about the success of us implementing a change at TeamSnap for most of the podcast, but what we haven't talked about are the countless times that I've tried to implement change and they've just crashed and burned spectacularly. Um, so I think that that's something new tech leaders especially get discouraged by. Um, you know, they've got this brilliant idea, they take it to their stakeholders and it just never goes anywhere. Someone just, you know, stomps all over their dream and, and uh, they're, they're left kind of picking up the pieces. Um, and it's, you know, persistence is key. Saying the same thing consistently is key. Um, you're probably going to have to say the same thing 20 times before it's heard correctly. Um, so I, I think just having that tenacity and persistence is, is really an asset in your toolbox. Um, and, you know, you're, you're going to fail. You, you, the great idea you have this week is, is probably not going to work out. And it, it has nothing to do with it being a great idea or not. It, you know, it, it has to do with the organization and its moment in time and what the challenges they're facing are. And, you know, maybe you didn't communicate it as well as you could have. And, and that's a skill you're going to work on. But, you know, that, that persistence is really something that you have to nurture and actively not get discouraged. Brilliant. Love it. And yourself, Shane? Yeah, I would. I think for mine, it's reminding yourselves that you are not supervising factory workers, you are leading knowledge workers. They should never stop innovating, but also you should never stop innovating. Uh, you always need to strive for something better and just don't 
accept the wisdom of the crowd at this moment. There are too many things that change that we have never experienced that have the opportunity to innovate. Take your tech leadership role. Remember your days of being a developer or a QA or a product manager and innovate for the help the team innovate and don't just get stuck. Yes. Love it. That's great. What a what a note to finish on. So thank you, gentlemen. It's been wonderful having you on board. And I wish you the best of luck in your leadership style, the shape up, the journey of shape up in the organization. And of course, wishing Team Snap the, the best of success in the future. Thank you. Thanks so much.